0: Welcome to Guys, Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show. It is our second show of the week, and it is Wednesday, November 9th, 2016. I hope everybody's having a great day. I know some people are not having a great day uh, after the election, but uh, some people are after the election. Uh, We have a great show for you. It's about karma, and uh, we have a special guest, Joanne DiMaggio, and she's going to come on when she calls in to talk about her new book, Karma, can be a real pain, past life clues to current life maladies. And really, what it's all about is um, things that have happened to people in past lives. If you believe in the recycling and the reincarnating of our souls into different physical forms, we get back, sometimes we carry along the psychic imprint and karma from past lives. And things have to be worked out on this level. And Joanne's got a program where she gets into hypnosis, past life regression, and something called soul writing to help them identify some of their issues and, uh, deal with them in this life. So they don't have to carry on those, that karmic imprint into, uh, into future lives. So, uh, we're looking forward to speaking with her and I think it's going to be a great show. Um, as, as you know, um, uh, we had our election yesterday and, um, I just want to say a few words about that. Quickly do our guys, guys, guide of the week, and uh, then we'll move on and get our guest on right away. But um, the election—you um, know—people wanted change, and uh, there was two types of change possible. You had Bernie Sanders' change, which was help out, try to get free college like they have in other countries, um, clean up the environment. Things in that uh, raised the minimum wage to $15. But unfortunately, the Democratic National Caucus or whatever committee proven that they really screwed him. And uh, they wanted Hillary as the candidate. And she was a flawed candidate in many ways. And uh, people want to change. So she was viewed as the status quo. And you had Donald Trump, who came across as the change agent. Now, as we all know, not all change is good. But this is what we have, and we're going to have to deal with it and him for four years. He's a guy who hasn't had any government experience, um, not even dog catcher, and uh, he's been catapulted into the uh, most powerful position in the world. And the only people who've kind of hung on and been around him are people from The Celebrity Apprentice and uh, you know, retreads like Rudy Giuliani and Chris Christie and Jeff Sessions and newt gingrich and a lot of people are depressed they're actually referring to today in new york so many people and it's been quiet here uh as like almost post 9 11 because they fear as to what can happen um but i blame partially the democrats because they set themselves up for this and they tried to force hillary on people and uh the the fbi which i think was terribly wrong in uh coming out with that information about a week ago, like we're going to relook at 650,000 emails uh, at some emails and look at 650,000 emails. And they did, and they came up with nothing new, but it had its impact. So Hillary won the popular vote, but she lost the electoral college. It was a stunning upset. Now let's talk a little bit about what a Trump presidency might be. And then we'll move on to the guy's guy's guide and I'll bring our special guest, Joanne DiMaggio on, you know, Trump, just the one, only thing I'll say is this, People are saying, give him a chance. Of course, we want him to succeed because we want our country to succeed. We want us to succeed. But he is what he is, and he's not a very circumspect guy. The way he has built his business has been on defaulting from payments and going back and renegotiating paying cents on the dollar. And he's gotten away with it. And, but on the world stage, if he tries that with China, our biggest creditor, We're going to pay a price of cyber attacks, intellectual property theft, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because they're not going to put up with that. So if he thinks he's going to send 85-year-old Carl Icahn over to China to renegotiate, he's going to be sadly mistaken. And if he tries to put it through a deal like that and he thinks he has something, we will pay for it over and over in other ways. That's the only thing I will... I will warn people about that this is how, what, what, you know, the, uh, you know, the old story of the uh, frog and the scorpion. And uh, the scorpion asked the frog, take me across the river. But the frog says, well, you're a scorpion. You might sting me. He's like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. no I won't. No, I won't. The frog takes him across. He gets to the, right to the other end of the river bank. Scorpion stings him. And the frog says, why did I do? Why'd you do that? I brought you all the way across the river. And the scorpion says, because I'm a scorpion. That's what we're looking at. Okay, let's quickly move on to my special feature called the Guys Guys Guide. What I do is I talk a little bit about my blog of the week, and then I bring on our special guest. So this week, uh, and the blog just went up yesterday on robertmanny.com, M-A-N-N-I, robertmanny.com. You can catch everything about Guys Guys. It's really the place where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. It all started with my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. You can pick that up on Amazon, any of the e-tailers, and it's in st- still in some bookstores. You can catch me on my blog here on uh, Blog Talk Radio. All of our 201 podcasts of, of Guy's Guy's Radio are on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and Blog Talk Radio. You can catch me on Facebook, Robert Manny Author, Twitter at Robert Manny, YouTube, Robert Manny Author, and uh, Again, all our shows are free. Listen to them when you want to, or you can call us up live and talk to any of our guests. 347-945-5834. So what I do is a little feature called the guy's guy's guide based on my blog. And this week I wrote about the guy's guy's guide to marrying later in life. And there's so many people who, uh, you know, are looking for love who are over 40 and I was one of them. And, um, I had been in a number of relationships and, uh, Ultimately, none of them panned out. And then I finally met somebody who I clicked with. And uh, we went out three times. And after the third date, I said, you know what, this is going really good. But I want to make sure I do the right thing. What can I do to be a good boyfriend? Because I've been in a lot of other relationships and kind of got blindsided where the woman was not as happy as I was, and then things ended. And I think that's a common, it's a common uh, occurrence these days. And the young lady, who is now my wife of six and a half years, said to me, pay attention. And I was like, wow. And the light bulb went off above my head. And I said, is that it? And she said, yes, pay attention. So we've been married six and a half years. We have a three and a half year old young son. So I got married later in life. And I've been thinking about it because there's so many people looking for love. And a lot of people either get married too young or they settle and things don't work out. And our divorce rate is over 50%. So. Very quickly, let me give you three thoughts about whether it's uh, wiser or not to marry later in life and you make your own decision. And again, you can find it on my blog, uh, Robert Manny, Um Number one, when you marry later in life, you've had the chance to really kind of get to know who you are, feel comfortable in your own skin, have some life experience, have some love experience. So many times when young people get married at a college or whatever, uh, they don't know who they are really yet, and although they are in you know, love, a lot of people change between the time they're 25 and 30 even, and people start to grow apart. And some people refer to these marriages at that age that don't work as kind of starter marriages. I never thought that way, and I don't feel that way now. I think that's a bullshit term. Forgive my language, but I just think it's ridiculous. There's no such thing as a starter marriage. Marriage is marriage. You have to respect it. And I personally didn't get married until I thought I was ready to live up to the marriage vows, because that's really what it's all about. And I know too many guys who screw around and they don't think that the sex matters uh, on the outside because they compartmentalize it. I understand kind of where they're coming from. I don't necessarily, I don't agree with it. And it's unfair to the woman. And now, nowadays you have women who are doing kind of the same thing. But you have to make out of it what you make of it. And you have to decide when it's the right time to get married. The other reason to wait to me is that you become more established, whether it's monetarily or career wise, and then you get more comfortable. Again, you know more about who you are. You know what you like, you know what you don't like. And I think at that point, you're in a better position to determine what's best for you in a relationship and the type of woman or guy you want to be with. So that's two reasons why I think it's sometimes worthwhile to hang in there and wait. And the last but third Consideration is kids. Now, I waited a long time to get married, so long, in fact, that when I would go to family reunions, nobody even asked me when I was getting married. They just assumed it would never happen, but it did. One Thanksgiving, I told my mother, I'm ready to get married, and I've made room for somebody in my life. I'll, I'll, I'm going to meet somebody. And she said, Oh, great. You're going to get married? Who, who is it to? I said, I don't know, but it's going to happen. Well, a year later, I brought home the young woman who became my wife. We got married. uh, We got engaged and we got married uh, a year after we went out and then we got married a year after we got engaged. And that was it. And it worked out for me. Now, I'm not saying it works for everybody, but I was a little older. She was a little older. Now, she's 15, 16 years younger than me, but still, you know, she was a little bit older than most women having kids. We have a three and a half year old. We're thinking about having another kid because we want another we want another sibling for our young son. Because I'm older and my wife's a little bit older. And we thought, well, we should have somebody for him. So if we're not around, he's got somebody else. Now, that sounds like a twisted way of thinking of things, but that's just how it goes. That's one of the realities you face when you're an older parent and you have kids. You might be more patient. You might be better as a parent when you're older. But there is old father time and nobody escapes father time. So that's a conundrum. You love the child so much. And you want to make the most of the time you have together. And that's the situation I'm in right now. Um, Would I do things differently? Maybe I'd have a kid earlier, but I didn't know my wife earlier. Would I have gotten married earlier? No, because I didn't meet the perfect partner. What I suggest to everybody is, don't get married until you're 100% sure in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit. If it doesn't feel completely right, don't do it. Trust your intuition. Don't do it. But if it feels right, then by all means do it. It's like this. I always, it's like, should you have, and I do a lot of you know shows about relationships and stuff. And it's like, people ask me, Oh, what do you think about sex in the first date? And I say, and I ask all my guests who are relationship experts the same thing. And I get a lot of different answers. My point of view is it doesn't matter if it's the first date or the 10th date with two consenting adults. It's when it feels right. Of course, there, there's some, you know, uh, exposure you're going to have, if you have it too early, but if you wait too long, it may never happen. You got to do what's right for you, what feels right, and you have to have some trust in yourself and also in the other people. But most of all, you have to trust yourself and your decision making. Anyhow, that's it. Uh, let's get on to the show, and we have a special show because uh, Joanne Dimaggio is on the get, uh, show. She's an author and a past life specialist. Now, you may know that I am, uh, I am a uh, master clinical advanced clinical master hypnotist. I don't practice that much, but I hypnotize myself and I've done past life regressions. I've been under them for about eight times. I've done it for other people. It's fascinating. And frankly, as a hypnotist, it's not the most difficult thing to do with people. And we'll have Joanne explain how it's done. She's back on the show uh, and she's going to discuss her latest book called karma can be a real pain in her long-term quest for something new and exciting in past life research. Our uh, best-selling author and therapist, Joanne Maggio found that, DiMaggio, found that what she was looking for had been staring at her in the face for years. In fact, she had already written about it in her previous book, Your Soul Remembers. We had her on her show to talk about that. Assessing your past lives through soul writing. When she chronicled how, she stumbled on the process of soul writing, which she defined as the written form of meditation. Joan's inspiring book offers a practical and simple approach to attaining altered mental state needed to tap into the energy of past life personas. And as she states, we are not alone in this wonderful, on this wonderful journey. So please welcome my special guest, Joanne DiMaggio, and we'll talk about her book, Karma Can Be a Real Pain. Good evening, Joanne. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you, Robert?
0: I'm very good. And thanks so much for being on the show. Um, I think your book is fantastic. I went through it over the past week or so. And uh, I just think for our audience, could you, uh, it's about karma and it's about things mm-hmm. we carry on from life to life. Could you just very simply define uh, your view of karma and why it's important for our audience?
1: Uh, sure. Well, I think uh, the easiest way to define karma is that it's simply the law of cause and effect. Um, Edgar Casey did a reading once and he said, uh, whatsoever a soul soweth, that shall it also reap, which is uh, a very good definition, I think, of karma. So it's it's things that happen in a prior lifetime. It could be something you did to someone, something somebody did to you. It could be an attitude. It could be uh, the result of an illness or a wound or or even your death. Um, And it also could be positive things like your talents, your abilities, and your skills. And you bring that with you from lifetime to lifetime and uh, deal with it accordingly.
0: And is this all part of our kind of soul's uh, uh, learning and ascension?
1: Exactly, exactly. Uh, Every lifetime when you do your pre-life assessment and agreement, you decide, well, you know, I didn't do too well in the area of... um, finances in my last life or i didn't do too well with relationship issues or i was very selfish or greedy or i was a healer i'd like to do that again so you set that up for yourself so that you come in with um with that in in the particular case of this last research project i did these were all people who um came in with a a chronic uh condition that we were tracing to a prior lifetime
0: Okay, I was going to ask you. One of the questions was, how do you actually find these people? I mean, how do they find how do they find you when they come in with with a chronic con, uh, condition, and they come to you to do hypnosis and past life regression and soul writing? Or like, how do they how do they come to you?
1: Well, some people come uh, as a client, and that's one of the reasons I started this project because I noticed a shift in the kinds of clients that I was getting. They were coming in complaining of different. Uh, uh... chronic conditions i had a woman come in who had head to toe psoriasis and she wanted to find out was it related to something from a previous lifetime and Mm -hmm. she went back to a life where she was a prostitute in the old west and when i asked her what was her last thoughts as her soul left her body she said i don't want to be touched And so in this life, she manifests a skin condition in which nobody wants to touch her. So it was from some of my clients, uh, but when I developed the actual research project, I approached people at my uh, Unity Church and also through uh, the ARE uh, here in Charlottesville, and I had no shortage of uh, of volunteers to come in. I did over 50 sessions over a year period.
0: Okay. Um, You talk about... um... People's, what, what are people's common responses to this process where they come in, you do the past life uh, regression, you have them do some soul writing, and then I guess they mm-hmm. do kind of review to see how things match up. What, what are people's common responses to this process?
1: Well, initially when they come in, uh, almost all of them express concern that they're going to make it up and or that they can't uh, be hypnotized. So they're coming in already with almost two strikes against the process. But actually when they get into it, then they find they're much more at ease. They feel comfortable. And as the story unfolds, it is so profound and answers so many questions on a really deep level that they've been asking for a long time that they're totally amazed at the process and um and find it extremely valuable
0: now is there um you know i've done and gone i've gone through past life regressions, and what I found was i was i was kind of always myself uh, i was like I did it like nine times I was eight times I was a guy, but I was kind of like me and in actually similar type of situations at different time frames, and then one or two times it was a completely different i was a completely different person. Um, uh, It wasn't that much me, but um, I guess I was, but in a different a different uh, variation, if you will. But um, Mm -hmm. for for most people, um, talk to us about the the, the process of uh, going through past life regression. I mean, I know when you take somebody down, you kind of lead them down a pathway and they go to a different door. Could you explain that process when you are working with somebody for the folks out there?
1: Sure. Well, for this particular project, um, I used a script of uh, going into uh, some guided imagery uh, in which I took them uh, down a hallway as as if they were in a hotel. And then on both sides of the hallway were, were different doors like you would find in any hotel. But each mm-hmm. door had a year on it representing one of their previous lives. I asked their soul to lead them to the door, that was of the lifetime that was most impacting them. In other words, that's the door of the origin Mm -hmm. of whatever chronic condition they were dealing with. So I I would start with a really deep relaxation. Uh, I did a body scan and that's mostly to see if there were any sensitivities or discomfort or birthmarks uh, prior to actually starting the regression Then we did the regression um, And uh, led them to that door And then they You ask the typical questions in a regression You know, what do you look like And where are you And who are you with And what's a significant event that's happening uh, And uh, and other questions like that You take them through their death uh, You ask them if there are any people From that life in their life now And what parallels do they see Between that past and the present When the regression is over, that part of it's over, then we do the soul writing. I bring them almost all the way back to full consciousness, put a pen in their hand, a uh, pad of paper on their lap, and I say, you know, ask your soul now if there's any additional information it can give you in writing that you didn't get in the regression. And then they they begin the writing process, and I write along with them. And that's often where the aha moments come uh, through the writing. And it takes about two hours from beginning to end.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems like the uh, soul writing is different than automatic writing. You explain that in uh, one section of the book. And it seems like the soul writing comes out in kind of like bursts uh, versus automatic writing, which can be kind of longer form, if you will. Tell us a little bit about the difference between, for, for our audience uh, and listeners, uh, the difference between soul writing and automatic writing, just the highlights, because I think a lot of people have heard maybe one or both of those terms, but they're not sure exactly what the difference is.
1: Yeah, automatic writing uh, is different from soul writing in that with with um, with soul writing, which is the um, soul writing is actually inspirational writing, as Edgar Casey taught it. You um, always say a prayer of protection, surround yourself with white light. With automatic writing, you generally don't do that. With soul writing, your handwriting pretty much stays the same. With automatic writing, it often changes um with uh soul writing um, you just consciously watch the the words appear on the paper with with automatic writing sometimes you really can't control your hand it's just going off by itself um soul writing guides you and and offers gentle guidance it sort of nudges your soul whereas automatic writing can actually compel you or command you to do something the are has uh, automatic writing listed i think is the number two no no uh, right after ouija board in terms of usage for um, developing your psychic skills, only because they have had many case studies, ca- case histories of people who are dealing with possession because of the automatic writing, opening yourself up to uh, mm-hmm. whatever is out there kind of coming in. So I very much discourage people from doing automatic writing and to really understand the difference between the two.
0: Okay. And past life regressions for uh, for folks who are not that familiar with it. Um, You don't really have to believe in, my understanding is, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, Joanne, is Mm -hmm. you really, you don't necessarily have to believe in reincarnation, but you have to have an attitude that's open as if uh, it's what if this could happen. And it's kind of the same with hypnosis. You don't really have to, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of with hypnosis. You're not really, you know, people can't, the, the hypnotist can't make you do something that you don't want to do. That's not, you know, the, you can't hypnotize somebody to, like, go kill that person if it's not the type of person right. they are. Is that, is that, right, is that exactly.
1: Accurate? That's absolutely true. Um, and, uh, so, uh, you know, people come in skeptical about it. And like you said, they don't have to believe in it. Some of them weren't even sure. Um, and they But they had an open mind. And they were willing to, to go down this road and to sort of surrender to it and see what came of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were all very pleasantly surprised at the, at what they discovered about their particular chronic condition and where it emanated from.
0: Now, you had one, uh, I was reading the liver and kidney section most recently. And I had uh, personally, maybe we can talk about this in a minute, but I had two robotic surgeries on my kidneys. And I was wondering, mm-hmm. I'm going to do the, I know you give the process in terms of the uh, soul writing. So I'm going to do that on my own. But I was reading about uh, one of the gentlemen who had, I I think maybe it was his liver. He, he had, and this also is something that comes up. It seems like frequently, he thought he had been um, a couple of Mm -hmm. famous people, Stonewall, Jackson and William Wallace. Tell us about that whole phenomena where people feel they may have been famous people. And this guy seemed to like really tie in very, very seamlessly um, and why that occurs. And is it, how do you know if that's real or not for people?
1: well this this fellow in particular, his name is jack he's thirty seven years old he's a former Navy corpsman with the Marines and operation iraqi freedom uh veteran so uh he's really a kind of a neat guy. He came into my office uh the first time uh, I've done three sessions with him uh barefoot with a confederate cap on, and it was the middle of November and I said, "Jack, why are you barefoot?" you know and he said well i'm honoring the men of stonewall jackson's uh truth wow. and I was like wow I knew nothing about that. Well anyway, um <laughs> most people who come in who say that they're somebody famous um when we actually go back uh very seldom uh are they able to tie it in. You know, a for instance, you know, I tell people, well, if they say they're Napoleon for instance, I'll say to them, well, Are you Napoleon sitting on the horse and you're looking out at the crowd through those eyes? Or are you in the crowd and you're looking at him and you're associating yourself with him? And many times that's it. I had a woman who claimed to be Patrick Henry, and when I asked her why in the world she thought she was Patrick Henry, she said, because he's a good talker and so am I. Well, that's not enough. And most of the people who really were famous are very humble people. They don't go around bragging about it. In Jack's case, If you saw a picture of Stonewall Jackson and you were sitting with Jack, it's uncanny. They look exactly alike. Uh, So he's one of the very few people that I've had come in that I really truly believe uh, was. uh, In his case, I do believe he was uh, Stonewall Jackson. Um, I don't know about the William Wallace life so much, although his description of it uh, and memories of it uh, were pretty accurate. Also with, with Jack he is volunteering at the Stonewall Jackson House in Lexington, Virginia. And he came in once to say, you know, they're going to do some refurbishing, and I want to remember what the house looked like when I lived there. And, my goodness, he went through room by room and described everything um, to a T. So, you know, that's that's what happens with um But most people are your average, judge, uh, you know, John Smiths and Jane Doe's. Uh, very seldom have I really encountered that a person who um, had been famous in a previous life, but you know they I'll all tell- have souls too, so they have to come back one way or the other
0: <laughs> sure now, tell us a little bit just on that one case study so so for people who are interested in picking up the book, they know how this works so he I believe jack I think it was it was liver he was in the liver and kidneys area so mm-hmm. what what happened with him? He came to you and what was went, how did you tie the injuries back into what's going on now and how did you help him then afterwards move forward
1: well he went back to a life in 38 AD in judea uh and he was in the uh
0: uh so he picked that um, one in that doorway
1: that's the door he picked he didn't go back to the jackson life or the william wallace life um what was interesting about jack is when we did the body scan he started giving me all of his um uh uh, discomfort and sensitivities and birthmarks from all of his previous lifetimes which no other uh volunteer had ever done so he was already picking up on Injuries that he may have had to his uh, kidneys before um, He was suspected of government He suspected the government of some illegal activities And uh, was going to turn whistleblower uh, mm-hmm. But he was, uh, he was captured, beaten, and then crucified uh, The beating he took um, was repeated blows to the kidney area And that's, uh, that's how we tied that particular um, uh, injury in uh, but um, but he has such a long history of similar injuries from other lifetimes that it just simply compounded. Uh, and as far as uh, the healing end of it, um, with um, with Jack, uh, he said that his condition improved after our session. Um, Often when you uncover the origin of uh, the condition, uh, it releases it, and uh, we do some forgiveness work. Mm -hmm. We let it go, and uh, just simply in the knowing and in the understanding of its origin, Oftentimes it uh, dissipates, uh, so that was one of my follow up questions to all of my the twenty out of the fifty I did twenty three that are in the book, and about six to eight weeks after their session, I followed up with a questionnaire and asked them you know how what's your condition like now? Has it improved? Is it healed? Uh, is it the same, or did it get worse mm-hmm. and um, And I just wanted all that for statistical purposes. Uh, because I really did want this to be a true research project. Um, I like to think of myself as a spiritual scientist, uh, mm-hmm. and I wanted Absolutely. everybody to be able to tell their own story, and so that it's not me saying to you, "Hey, look, you know, all your chronic conditions are the result of a previous lifetime." It wasn't me saying it; it was the, the folks that that entrusted their past life journey to me.
0: And um, the, the the clients, if you will. Typically, come back for another session, or you do the follow-up, and they they're kind of good to go at that point.
1: No, we don't. Uh, very seldom do people come back. Uh, it's a usually they only need one session. Uh, mm-hmm. In Jack's case, he came uh, multiple times because he was uh, had specific uh, reasons for doing so. He wanted some specific information, uh, so we worked together three times. But most of these people, it was just the one time. And I followed up uh they didn't even come back in person with the follow up They were just able to uh answer the questions that I sent them about how they were doing. Um, I like to let the information marinate a little bit because when the mm-hmm. regression is over, it doesn't stop at that point they they were, they get bleed through in in that uh they might be reading a book or hearing music or watching television or in the shower, and all of a sudden boom, there's a, 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 a different piece of information that they didn't have before. Right. And so I give them that mm-hmm. time to let it all marinate, and then, um, then I ask them, you know, well, how are you doing now? Did this really mm-hmm. make a difference? Yeah.
0: Um, now, some of the folks um, that you've worked with, it seems like they, they can now uh, identify people from their past lives that have been reincarnated in this lives. In right. this life, after they've gone through the work with you, talk to us a little right. bit about that.
1: One of the questions that's fascinating ask, that
0: they can recognize people like now in this life. They say, "Oh my God, that's my whatever from right. eight centuries right.
1: ago." Right. Yeah, that's one of the questions I ask. That's at the end of the session is uh, to just kind of feel into the essence of the soul of the people that they mentioned in that regression so if they talked about having a spouse or children or parents or friends, whatever, I'll say to them, I want you to go back and I want you to focus in on the energy of that person and see if you recognize that same energy in somebody in your life now. Now, keeping in mind that we change sexes and we change roles. So there were people who might have said, oh, my my husband feels a lot like my mother now, or um, you know, my, uh, my daughter in that lifetime uh, feels like my friend Judy in this life so uh you know we we change, but you could feel and you can sense it, so they're using all of their sensory um organs to 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 uh process this information, and so you know they just they just get a feeling and then they go with it
0: mm-hmm. now uh you also have a section in the book about you know, drugs and alcohol and you know mm-hmm. alcohol and even drugs. Uh, In various forms have been something that have been with us throughout history. So can you, Joanne, just quickly talk to us about what what is the significance in uh, your work and identifying these tendencies for people to get involved with drugs or alcohol?
1: Well, it's interesting because that's the uh, that's one of the areas I didn't want to I did not want to work with people with those issues. I didn't want to work with people with emotional or mental issues, and I didn't want to deal with people with sexual issues. And what do you think? That's what I got. Mm-hmm. A lot of people came in of with course. those. Um, <laughs> the alcohol addiction. Uh, you know, I had one woman who was a flight attendant uh, who went back to a life in 1712 in France, um, and she was a 30 year old male and was in with a crowd of, of people, who a, a group of men, who um, they spent all of their time in these opium dens, and they spent all their time drinking. And uh, in that lifetime, she died at a fairly young age. Um, and in this lifetime, what do you think? She incarnates that same group of people, the same souls that were with her in that uh, 1712 life have reincarnated wow. again. And what do you think they're doing? They're, they're luring her to go drink. Yeah. Wow. And so she did it again. So that's um that's one of the um examples of uh of that particular um uh issue. So uh and the other one was um a forty four year old ma- male named Chris. He went to a life in two hundred and two thirty four in the Middle East, uh was a woman at that point. Um and had some problems with the, the father father issue and ended up uh, dying by suicide. And uh, Brian Weiss talks a lot about about how pathway mm-hmm. therapy can be important to the healing process for adult survivors because he says it provides a safe way of unlocking and clearing the experience, and uh, it also gives them, the uh, you know, an emotional framework in which to process and integrate those memories that are released during the healing process. So, um, So, yeah, it's an important tool. Uh, usually, I like I said, I usually don't encourage uh, individuals with with those issues to come in. Sometimes they, it gets in a little over my head, you know, in terms of what mm-hmm. their needs are. Um, but in this case, I think especially with Meg, the the flight attendant with the alcohol problem, I thought it was really fascinating to see how um, that same group of people were able to influence her in two lifetimes to do something mm-hmm. that normally she wouldn't have done, which was wow. drinking.
0: Um you also mentioned uh you know parkinsons there's parkinsons alzheimers and uh diabetes now these are uh maladies that people have that they seem to be more contemporary though i'm sure they've existed but they weren't identified as such in the past or are they more current uh contemporary maladies that people have what's your perspective on that because it seems like so many people nowadays you know, as seniors, you know it's either Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. You got one way to go or the other. I don't know if this is based on our GMOs and our diet and all of that. And then diabetes, also with all the sugar intake. What's yeah. your are these are these new sicknesses or these have been well, around we, for a long time? And what's the significance well, of them now? And what can yeah, we learn? The,
1: when 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 we would, when they would go back to their past lives. Very seldom would they have the disease that they have today. What we saw instead was that there were circumstances that set it up to be what it is today. So, in other words, um, now with Meg it was alcohol and, and drugs, and and then she's dealing with alcohol now. But there were others who who weren't like that. The ones who came in with diabetes, they I did not get any Parkinson's. Um, uh, or alzheimer 's patient uh, people this time around, but um, the diabetes people uh, the 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 two that I thought both of them uh, said had, were linking um chronic fatigue to the diabetes now, one of them said that uh one was sandra retired community college professor she went back to a Native American lifetime um, and in that lifetime um, she was smoke he was smoking uh too much uh peyote and mm-hmm. uh in this lifetime she said she felt like she was in a fog and that the that smoke was still in her system and she said that the smoke was uh the fact that it was still in her system made her lethargic and causes issues with her blood sugar and the other one, Janet, who is a marketing professional, went back to sixteen fifty in Italy. Um, and she talked about there was a lack of sweetness in her life in that lifetime. Wow. Um, and, she, and she needed to learn to appreciate simple things. And so she also said she had chronic fatigue and that that led to her diabetes. So it wasn't always a tit for tat so that it was so mm-hmm. easy. Sometimes it was an attitude issue or, um, you know, um, I had one, Gary. He was um, uh, a 68-year-old um uh man who went back to a life in 1832 in virginia and he was in the civil war he was an officer in the 32nd virginia infantry and he used his saber to cut off the thumbs or the hands of his opponents and in this lifetime he has arthritis and it's only in his thumbs no place else so that's that's sort of a tit for tat, but that doesn't always, it's not always that clear cut. Sometimes you really have to, uh, you know, analyze uh, what's going on in both lifetimes to make the connection.
0: You know, it's interesting with past life regressions. Uh, some people think, oh, I'm going to sit there. It's like I'm sitting in a theater. I'm going to h- watch a whole movie of my life. That was not <laughs> my, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was not my personal experience. I know mm-hmm. it lasted a while when I went under, but mm-hmm. the, it, the, the experience itself seemed very quick almost fleeting and it went right to death and the death is unemotional. You just watch it and it's like, you don't, right. you know, I felt bad a little bit uh, for the person I was because I could relate to that person, but it, it wasn't like watching a movie per se. It was more like seeing something with your third eye or your inner eye right. Is that Is that correct right.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, And it's interesting that you said about the timeline because when uh when my clients uh come back to full consciousness and they say, "Well, what time is it?" And they realize that two hours have passed, they're absolutely yeah. shocked they They had no idea that they had been uh, re- reviewing all of this, but it, it depends because some people see a lot of detail. Uh, some people don't see anything They feel it or they sense it or they right. hear it Or they taste mm-hmm. it um, And it's very real to them I mean, they if it's a sad scene They will burst into tears um, mm-hmm. If they're uh, fearful you, you, You'll be able to tell that they're fearful uh, They may even say I don't want to see this uh, Or they may um, If it's something really happy or joyful They'll just start giggling uh, mm-hmm. And you know, being a hypnotist That's not something you can fake uh, right. you know, in, in, under, uh, under hypnosis. So I always tell them if you're feeling emotion, that is a very good clue that that is a real experience.
0: Now I had mentioned that I had two robotic surgeries that were very sporadic two years ago, actually almost to the day. My second one was November 11th, two years ago. And I'm a hundred percent perfect. It says like I have a 98% chance it'll never happen again. I, I was lucky how they caught things. But, um, you know, the research I've done on my own says, well, kidney could be something fear based. So if that's the case, the kidney, I mean, I could either have gotten something with my kidneys based on my diet or my environment or my mindset or whatever. Or it could be based on something fear based from past lives. Or how, how would you for somebody trying to diagnose themselves? um how, how would you suggest they kind of look at it or is it just not something to be done without the help of a professional
1: well um you know because there's so many layers to all of this and, and mm-hmm. things are not as they seem uh
0: right.
1: and uh and sometimes it's really hard to make the correlation between the two we one of the things i work really uh, hard with with my clients is to uh find the similarities find behavior patterns find parallels mm-hmm. That will help explain. Uh, and then sometimes it's very symbolic of something completely different than than what it appears to be. Um, so if you think about what is the function of the kidneys, you know, and you can kind of go that direction as well. I mm-hmm. have uh, some kidney issues myself, and I was wondering, uh, you know, what that was related to. But I think mm-hmm. for most people, they don't really spend that amount of time, psychoanalyzing, you know, it, um, when they see it in a regression, it feels right on every level. And once it, once they make that aha moment and they go, Oh yeah, now I get it. Now I understand. Now this makes perfect sense. Um, that's Mm -hmm. halfway to healing right there.
0: Okay. Just two quick questions and I'll let you go. And you've been fantastic and I can tell everybody out there, uh, you know, our guest is Joanne DiMaggio. The book is karma can be a real pain past life clues to current life maladies this guy's guy's radio you're listening to but I can tell you that from being a professional in the hypnosis area Joanne is the real deal cuz she's talking about it exactly how I was taught and everything she's saying is is the real thing so thank you for your authenticity Joanne I mean I know thank what you're, you the work you're doing and it's a gr- it's a giving thing and thank you for doing that great work so my first question is do you see the type of work you're doing becoming more accepted and uh, flourishing into the future? And and if so, what are the next layers of it?
1: Well, you know, I'm encouraged because there are some medical doctors who are finally making statements that they believe that uh, chronic conditions can be traced to a past life. One of those is Norman Shealy, who Mm -hmm. said that in his experience, all significant illnesses or accidents in this life are the result of unfinished business from a previous life. So for a doctor to come out and make that kind of a statement, Huge. I think it lends a lot of credibility. It is. Um, we still, you know, in this country only about 24% believe in reincarnation, so it's sort of an uphill battle. Like we said earlier, you don't have to believe in it. So people don't want to uh, embrace it because they think it's against their religion. Uh, and it really isn't. It's, uh, reincarnation was in the Bible till the 5th century at the Council of Nicaea mm-hmm. when they took it out. Uh, but, um, but, you know, I may not be able to convince anybody of that. They'd rather believe it sure. One one shot deal, you know, but mm-hmm. I do think that, as we become more and more aware uh, you know and and do some research, do some reading see see what other people's experiences are. That this will become, hopefully, it'll gain in the mainstream the way massage therapy has, I hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although this is still considered kind of out there for some people. But there's always hope, you know, that that'll change.
0: It's growing. And what we're doing here on Guys Guys Radio, we're helping you spread the word. So keep up the good work. Um, last you. question. You do mention, and I'm going to do it myself, how to uh, do some uh, soul writing on your own. If you could just give a Mm -hmm. couple of bullet points on that. We want people to buy the book, Karma Can Be a Real Pain, um, by Joanne DiMaggio. But how can they, if they want to do a session on their own before they're picking up your book, what should they do?
1: If you'd like to do soul, if you do meditation already, that's half of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Go to a very quiet place. Take some deep, deep breaths. Just become completely relaxed. Surround yourself with white light like you're floating in a bubble of white light. Say a prayer of protection. You can say any prayer that you want. Just surround yourself with that white light uh, and make sure that uh, ask that only the highest and best come to you. Put your... uh, pad of paper and uh, have a pen in your hand. You could do it on the computer, by the way, on the keyboard. But you know, because your eyes are halfway closed, if you shift over one key, you won't be able to read anything. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I always do it by hand, and then I'll I'll transfer it later. And just um, allow your keep your wrists loose. Just start making some ovals just to get the writing process going, and out of those ovals will come letters, an E and L. Uh, now, you may get just a word here or there. You may get a phrase. You may get full sentences. You may get paragraph after paragraph. If nothing comes to you in writing but it, you, the message is in your head, go ahead and write that down, then go back to making the ovals, and then the message will come. It's coming from a very high place. Uh, and it's, uh, it's available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and anybody can learn to do it. It isn't a a special talent or ability. It's your birthright.
0: Do you need a specific question or do you have to have a specific intention
1: um, when you go into you, the process, you don't process. have to. You can you can ask uh, you know for a message for your highest and best, or if you have a okay. specific question, especially if you want to look into your past lives through using soul writing, you can do that. You can um, you can actually if you get good at it, uh, you could do what Frank DeMarco did in his book Chasing Smallwood, in which he actually had a conversation with his past life aspect. So it went back and forth where Frank would write something and then his past life aspect would write something and they would go back and forth like that. It's very fascinating, very Mm -hmm. fascinating.
0: Fascinating. Well, listen, uh, Joanne, you've been a great guest and your work is terrific, as I've mentioned. Tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and your books and your work.
1: Um, Well, thank you. uh, My website, it's joannedimaggio.com. That's J-O-A-N-N-E-D-I. M-A-G-G-I-O.com.
0: Fantastic.
1: And the well, book's listen. available on Amazon, too.
0: Awesome. And it just came out, and it's terrific, and it's so fascinating. And, again, for our listeners of Guys Guys Radio, Joanne's the real deal. Trust me on that. Uh, you know, there is a process to this, and when you get into this area, people always wonder, is it legit or not or whatever. This is how it's done when you're guided by a professional. So just know that hypnotherapy can be a very positive experience for you people out there. If you have a, a need for it or you're interested in it, it can really unlock a lot of doors to self-knowledge. So congratulations, Joanne. Thanks so much for being on Guys Guys Radio.
1: My pleasure, Robert. Thank you so much.
0: Okay. Take care. All
1: right, All right folks. Bye bye.
0: Bye bye. All right, folks, that's our show. Uh our guest has been Joanne DiMaggio, the book, Karma Can Be a Real Pain. Um So we had two shows this week and we're going to be back next week, next uh, Wednesday, I believe Uh, Jody Hershey an author is going to be our guest. And until then, you know, try to lick your wounds or not party too much if you're uh, in terms of how you're taking on uh, the news of the election. Uh, It is what it is. We have to get through it. And um, hopefully uh, the person who gets elected can step into the role and realize that the role is based on service, not self-service. So anyhow, I leave you with that because that's what a guy's guy does. And remember, better men, better world, guys, guys, finish first.